Welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hey there, and welcome. I'm going to get started. So I am really excited about this topic. This is one of my favorite topics, how to say no with grace, not guilt. But this isn't going to just be about how to do it. It's going to be about why to do it and why it's so hard and how to make it easier. So everybody knows that we are in an epidemic of overwhelm. People are burning out. People are working too much. Heck, people are around their families too much. There is a lot of too much going on and it's not sustainable. So this skill of being able to say no is going to add years to your life. And the good news is you're already really good at saying no. You just say no to the wrong things. You say no to things like proper hydration, perhaps. Maybe you're saying no to healthy eating. Maybe you're saying no to adequate sleep. Maybe you're saying no to quality relationships. Maybe you're spending a lot of time with your family, but it's not quality time. Or maybe you're missing out on time with your friends. Or maybe you don't have a tribe of people who you might call a mastermind who are working on the same things you're working on and motivating you and aligned in their thinking and their goals and stretching you to be your best. And maybe you're saying no to investing in yourself to get over this, to get better. And instead we're saying yes to things like TV, online news, social media. So, it's all about shifting your attention. I'm going to tell you why this is so hard. But first of all, I just want to assure you, you don't actually have to say the word no. The word no is a trigger word for most people. They don't want to hear it. They have bad connotations about it. And we can still be very clear when we decline requests without saying the word no. So I want to help you understand why this is so freaking hard. Now, it wasn't hard when you were born. When you were born, you were a pain in the ass. You were saying no all the time. Or before you could say no, you were screaming when you had needs. And everybody loved you. It was grand. But then something happened. I don't know when it happened or what it was. But something happened where you said no, you were obstinate, and somebody didn't like it. Somebody important to your survival did not like it. Maybe you got spanked. Maybe you got put in a corner, maybe you got shamed or yelled at, but in that moment you learned, huh, maybe I need to be nicer in order to be loved and have my survival needs met. And the reason that was so powerful is because you were born with a brain that runs on an operating system called fear. So I'm not saying fear is a bad thing. But when you don't manage this operating system and insert other programs like programs for gratitude, for peace, 
for calm, for confidence. Fear is going to dominate. Dominate your emotional state and dominate your behaviors. And that is because we are still running on a fear-based operating system that helped us stay alive a few days longer when we were tribal in the savannah. And that's why we have five times as many neural processes for negative thinking as positive thinking. And if you aren't actively changing that, it'll get even worse. The ratio of positive to negative will get even worse. And I'm not just talking positive and negative thoughts. I'm talking about positive and negative emotions. Now, all emotions are useful. They're instructive, but they're also destructive if we don't manage them and let them come to their natural conclusion, which will take about 90 seconds, even for the heaviest emotions. You get triggered with shame. You get triggered with fear. You get triggered with guilt. If you know how to manage it, you can let it just pass through you. And then you can use your logical brain, your prefrontal cortex, to say, huh, what did I do in that situation? Was guilt called for? Did I do something bad? Hmm, no, not really. That was just my automatic programming. And then we can make a decision to act in a different way that isn't motivated by guilt. So there are three particular fears that you started experiencing at a very young age in your household. And these three fears still direct our behaviors unless we manage them. We can't get rid of the fears, but we can overcome our reaction to them and we can neutralize them. So you may have heard me say this before, but I'm going to remind you. There's not going to be a quiz, but I'm going to remind you what these three fears are. And I want you to think about whatever situation you have a hard time saying no to. Okay. So the first fear. Scientists just call it social pain. And it is that fear that you might not be liked, that you might be so disliked that you will get kicked out of the tribe or not invited to the right meetings or not included in the right emails or not liked by your family. So we people please in order to not feel this pain of social pain. Weird factoid, acetaminophen, Tylenol actually helps with social pain because it's the same part of the brain as if you slam your thumb with a hammer. Now, I'm not suggesting you take Tylenol. I'm just telling you because Tylenol will numb all the other emotions too. So anyways, side got sidetracked a little bit. Social pain is real. It is physical and we will do almost anything to avoid it because our brains are still still wired to think that if we are not liked, if somebody is mad at us, that something bad is going to happen, that our survival is in jeopardy. I call this FOPO. Social pain for me, I just like to call it FOPO, which means fear of pissing someone off. And you can imagine, just think about that situation at work where you are afraid of pissing somebody off. And all the yeses that come from that, all the yeses that come from that, maybe it's, I'm afraid somebody's going to be pissed off if I don't respond to their email. So I'm going to stay up late on email and I'm going to work until my email inbox is cleared out. If you're like that and you saw my email inbox, you would have a heart attack. I don't even know how many thousands of emails are in my email inbox, but there are tens of thousands of emails in my inbox and I don't care. 
I don't care because many of them are not useful, are not suitable. And I only have 24 hours a day, just like you. So do I occasionally miss an important email, even though I filtered out spam and other things? Yes, occasionally I do. And guess what? If it really is important, they will find me. They will text me. They will send me a message. They will find me. And they will still love me. And they will know that I'm just human and that I have priorities too. Okay, so that's the first fear. FOPO, social pain, fear of pissing people off. Makes us people please. The next one is status pain. This is the fear of comparison. She's doing it. I guess I have to do it. She's saying yes to all these projects. I guess I have to say yes to all these projects. It is that fear of not measuring up. And in the workplace, my opinion, one of the most destructive practices in the workplace is the way we do performance management. Putting a label on somebody, ugh, I can just feel the brain pain just from memory. I haven't been in the, I haven't been an employee other than an employee of me for a very long time, but I still have that pain. And I didn't care if it was even a good rating. Just the fact that somebody else is giving you a rating is painful. So that's just one example of status pain and what's, uh, what's painful. But we're, we're triggered by status pain in our personal lives too, all the time. So your neighbor gets a new car. All of a sudden your car isn't looking so great anymore. I went to an event recently and I was the only car there without a Tesla. I was the only person there without a Tesla. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Teslas. I'm just thinking, does everybody need one? It's just in the atmosphere and it's in our brains to compare and want to measure up. Now, comparing isn't necessarily bad. You can compare yourself and say, you know what? I'm okay. I like that they do that, but you know what? I'm, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say yes to all those meetings because frankly, that person is in way too many meetings and isn't productive. And I would rather be productive and be in the right meetings. So now I'm comparing but I'm deciding what I like and what I don't like, what I'll take and what I won't take. So that is status pain. And I like to call that one FOMO. I know you've heard of FOMO, fear of missing out. This is related. It's the fear of not measuring up. That if you miss out, somebody will judge you. And when it comes time for raises and bonuses, they won't judge you well. That's the fear. Of FOMU. We also have this in our personal lives too. This is why we people please in our personal lives too. It's that fear of not measuring up to somebody's standard. It is a painful feeling when somebody you value thinks poorly of you. But unfortunately, it's also a painful feeling when some stranger thinks poorly of you and criticizes you. Now, isn't that fascinating? We don't even know this person. This person is coming to us from the internet. And if they're spending time on the internet criticizing people, they've probably got some problems in their life. But status pain has us get freaked out about it. Oh no, I, I can't write, I can't send this email, I can't hit publish on this blog, uh, I can't share my comments, my true feelings about this article that everybody's talking about because we're afraid of getting judged. 
So it makes us say yes to things we shouldn't say yes to. And I'm just going to take an aside here. If you are a leader, if you are a leader of teens, just by your title and your nature of authority above these people, you are a status threat. I don't care how huggable, how nice you are, you are a status threat. And you need to know that. Parents too. We are status threats to our kids because we have power over their lives. We have decision-making power over their lives. Just having a senior executive walk on the floor, we don't have floors anymore, I know, but if they pop into a Zoom or a Google Meets, everybody's heart rate increases a little bit. So leaders have to work even harder. I just listened in to a call with one of my leaders and he just took over a team. And this was his welcome, his first group meeting with his team. And it was utterly brilliant. He managed just the right amount of strength and warmth. And he asked people, what makes your job harder than it needs to be? And then he came back and he said, I want you to start declining meetings where you are not required to be there and where somebody else on your team is already there and can tell you what the important things were. I want you to start declining those because we don't have the capacity as humans to be everywhere at all times. And so we need to be looking for times where we can bow out. And then he said, we're also going to be doing monthly fun gatherings. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, all those introverts are going, really? Really? This does not sound like fun to me. And then he said, and they are optional. So I trust that he will really make them fun. But he also said, if you want to take a walk for your fun or listen to music and dance in your office for fun or take a nap for fun, go for it. Just do something fun. All right. So he already gave people permission slip to opt out. And if you're a leader, you need to be doing these kind of things. You need to be on alert because you may be thinking just because you said it. Oh, yeah. Just because I work until 2 a.m. doesn't mean you guys have to. That's not how it works. That's not how the brain works. They're going to think they have to do it. So you have to show. You have to reward the people who don't do it. And preferably, you need to be smart at saying no to things too. So you lead by example, not just your words. All right, so the third pain, you're very familiar with this one. This is, well, scientists might call it energy depletion pain. I call it fear of change. Or even more fun is FOGA. Fear of getting off your ass. So I don't care what bad habit you have, your brain doesn't want you to change it because it's comfortable. And probably this bad habit is keeping you small and safe. And your brain just doesn't want you to change because change takes enormous energy. Change is risky, says your brain. So even if you have a habit of watching Netflix every night or HBO or whatever your favorite station is, and drinking two bottles of wine while you eat ice cream, your brain says, keep doing that. Don't say no to the ice cream. Don't say no to Netflix. Don't say no to the wine. Keep saying yes. That is what your brain does because of this fear of change. So this is what's working against you and why it is so hard to change no on your own. So you have to have a very, very important reason why. Why is it worth doing this? 
Why is it worth assessing where you spend your time making a decision? Decisions also take energy and then actually doing it, declining requests, speaking up to leadership, saying what you need. Why is it worth doing this? And there are two ways to motivate yourself with why. One is pleasure. Now, you're having a lot of fun, a lot of pleasure sitting on the couch watching TV, drinking wine, eating ice cream. That's pleasurable. So you have to trick your brain into looking for what pleasure in the future would you get if you weren't doing that? What pleasure would be yours? And then really visualize it. What is it? Would you fit into those pants you haven't worn in five years? Would you just have more energy, have better sleep? If you have better sleep, everything in your life is going to be better. Would you have a better sex life? Would you have more confidence? So that may work for you, but I will tell you that pain is a much better leverage tool. Because let's think about this. Let's say you're not having a lot of symptoms. Maybe you're one of those rare people who doesn't need a lot of sleep. But let's say, just for fun, that if you, you were so allergic to wine and ice cream that if you had one bite or one sip, you would get a violent pain. Whatever pain you can remember in your life that was so painful you couldn't handle it. Sciatica, um, gut pain, whatever. If you got that pain every time you did that thing, you wouldn't do it. So pain is the best motivator, unfortunately. So here's how you can leverage pain. You can think about what is this keeping me from doing? How is this procrastination, people-pleasing, perfectionism, how is it hurting me? And even better, you can play it out in the future. If I continue to do this, where will I be in five years? What will the state of my life be like? What will the state of my health be like? This is why so many people have diabetes right now. Why so many people have heart disease. Why this year or last year, Americans for the first time dropped in their life expectancy. And it wasn't just COVID. It was because the sedentary lifestyle we leave and the unhealthy lifestyle we live that is stealing time from us. And even if we manage to live a long life, it's stealing joy and it's stealing from our potential. And I will tell you that saying no is never going to be comfortable. Well, maybe it will get comfortable, but in the beginning, it is not comfortable. So you need to expect it to be uncomfortable, but have a great reason why. And I've said no to quite a few things, and I'm pretty good at saying no. And the reason is my why is so powerful to me. This is weird, but ever since I was a kid, my why, my fear, my greatest fear was that I would never live up to my potential. And what that meant for me was that I would never figure out what I was good at and what to do with it. That was my greatest fear. I didn't have one obvious standout strength. I had many strengths, but I didn't, I didn't notice them because they came easily to me. 
I knew what came hard for me though. So one kind of silly thing that I said no to, but this was hard because I, this was in school, in high school, I was a straight A student. I was always following the rules when it came to teachers asking me things. Um, and anyways, I was doing really well and following the rules. So one year, my senior year, I was in an advanced math class. I think it was pre-calculus. And even though I got good grades in math, it was not my strength. I did not enjoy it. And I had already been accepted to a college. I knew I was going to be doing something in liberal arts and I was miserable. And it's always miserable, miserable when you're working outside your strengths, but to make matters worse, I was getting bullied that year and my bullies sat on either side of me and right behind me. So you don't have to be an empath to feel the energy coming from people who are tormenting you. So all in all, that was an hour of hell for me and then whatever hours of hell for the homework. So I decided to say no. I read up, the class was not a requirement. I'd already gotten accepted to college. I was fourth in my class and why? Why did I need to do this? Why did I need to put myself through this? So I decided, even though my dad worked at the high school, my dad was a rule follower too, I decided to make a plea, make a case for why I didn't need to do it. And I did it and it was uncomfortable. I think I even cried. I cried because they weren't gonna let me do it, but they had no reasoning. And I also have a very high bar for justice. I need, I, I want justice for me and for everybody else. And if you are making me do something where there's not a rule that says I have to do it, I'm going to be very upset. So I'm stubborn and I'm a fighter. I'm a fighter for people's rights so and people's potential. So I did get my way. And not only did I not have to take calculus anymore, I decided to work with the librarian, the brilliant librarian. Her name was Jan Hoberite. Jan, if you're watching, love you. And she had a seminar-like class. It was like going to a liberal arts college. And we all got to do independent study and then come together. I was studying world religions. Somebody else was studying world history. It was just nirvana. So I did that instead. That was much more aligned with who I was. So that was an early, early no. But I also said no to being a corporate employee. I'm also a person who has high security needs. But I knew I knew that I was supposed to be on my own. I knew I was supposed to be an entrepreneur. I knew I was supposed to work for myself. And the pain of knowing that I wasn't doing that finally got enough, finally got to be enough. And I knew I had a lot of experience now. I had the tools, I had the knowledge. I didn't know how to run a business, but I knew how to transform lives. So I said no to the corporate world and then I had to do something even scarier and that was invest money even though I didn't have a job, I didn't have an employer anymore, I had to invest money in learning how to create a business. And that's not cheap. But I said yes to that. I said yes over and over and over and over again to coaching myself. Because I had strategies for doing what I do, but I didn't have strategies for running a business. So that has made all the difference, that very uncomfortable no and that very uncomfortable yes. 
if you feel like puking when you make these decisions, that's just courage. And the path to your potential has many, many gates of courage. The thing is, you get muscle memory, you get neural pathways. The more gates of courage you go through, the easier it gets, the less uncomfortable. But I think Brene Brown said something like, you can be courageous or you can be comfortable, but you cannot be both at the same time. But the discomfort will get less and less and your grace when you do it will get more and more. The last thing I've said no to that was a big, 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 big one was a marriage. After 19 years of being together, having a four-year-old, I said no. And that was because sometimes marriages get to a point where it's like you're pouring water on a dead plant. No matter what you do, it is not meant to go on. It was purposeful and useful for a time and loving for a time, and then it wasn't. And it takes two people. So back to my core fear of not living up to my potential, once I realized that that was never going to reach our potential for either one of us, then I said no. Again, I felt like throwing up. When you look back on these things that you say no to, you will realize, you will realize the magic that they have in your life. From the small things to the big things. So how you do it does not have to be complicated. So first of all, you're not going to say the word no. You can say something as simple as, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do that. Or I can't be there, but I'm going to send so-and-so instead. Or I have a prior commitment. And if anybody ever asks you why, you don't have to give a why. But you can always say, it's personal. I have a personal commitment. Or I have a prior commitment. Now you're somebody who takes care of yourself, who honors yourself, who honors prior commitments. Or we have so-and-so going to the meeting. It would be ineffective and unproductive for me to go to that. So I'm going to be working on this instead. And he'll report back to me. There was not even a no in there. And when you do this and when you give reasons like this, it elevates your reputation and it's contagious. Other people believe, why am I going to this meeting? I don't need to go to this meeting. She's going to this meeting. So declining these requests becomes much easier when you realize that it is a gift to you and you being productive is a gift to other people. You having more capacity is a gift to other people. So I offer free times, like a couple free slots for women who are suffering every week. And ironically, but not surprisingly, many of them cancel and they say, no, I have, I got pulled into a meeting. I say, well, of course you got pulled into a meeting. That's what work does. So you have to be on the lookout and expecting people to ask you to do things when you have committed to yourself something else. And I want you to make when you say yes to those things so rare, so rare. I mean, something has to be on fire for you to go and take away time from this must do you had. It's like you wouldn't say, no, I'm not going to breathe right now because you're asking me not to. No. Breathing is a must do. Heart beating is a must do. Decide what commitments you have are a must do. 
I use the example of the breakthrough calls with me because the irony is the call with me is exactly what they need to solve their dilemma of overwhelm and people-pleasing and perfectionism and fear. And yet they say no. And we do this all the time. We get opportunities all the time to decline requests and we don't do it. And then we sink lower and lower and lower. So keep in mind the reward for saying yes to the right things and declining the right things is huge. The reward is no more overwhelm. The reward is you're calm, peaceful, well-slept, well-rested. You have daily habits now because you have time for daily habits and you've learned which habits work and which don't. And you now do that so that every day you wake up looking forward to the day. And every evening, you look back and feel satisfied about the day. And you feel like you are living according to your potential. And you're living on purpose. And you're the mother, sister, parent, leader. You knew you could be, but you weren't because you had limited capacity. So I am going to invite you to just look at your calendar today. What's on there? And if it feels too late today, look at tomorrow. What is on there that you can decline? And then maybe start personally because that, that's easier. What personally do you know you're saying yes to that is hurting you? And then say no. And when you decide to say no, please make this easy on yourself. There is no such thing as willpower. It's so weak, it might as well be non-existent. And after a long day, when you are depleted, when you're tired, when you're stressed out, it doesn't exist. So whatever's tempting you that you want to say no to, get it out of your house. Get it out of your house and replace it with something awesome. Okay, so you can't just replace chocolate cake with apples unless you love apples. Maybe you cut up some bananas and put blue agave syrup on them. It's delicious. Or stevia. You, I, I replaced coffee with dandelion coffee and stevia. I know it sounds terrible, but it's so freaking good. And it has no acid and no, no caffeine. I tried around, I tried a lot of things. Tea didn't work for me. I still like tea, but not first thing in the morning. I need something robust because I was drinking Pete's coffee that you can just like, you can't even stir it. It's so thick. It's so strong. Okay, that's an exaggeration. But so that's an example. If you want to get rid of something, you can't torture yourself. You have to replace it with something good. If you're going to say no to that meeting, go and do something awesome during that time. Like focus on that thing that you've been procrastinating and get that feeling of awesome satisfaction and get that weight off your shoulders, that weight that procrastination puts on our shoulders. So I think you've got all the tools you need. But if you decide you need more, you can visit my website. It's work-lifebrilliance.com. And you will see that I have a program on reducing overwhelm and boosting productivity. It's a completely online program. So you can do it anytime, anytime that's useful for you. You can say yes to this thing. And it's all of my stuff comes with a guarantee. So if it doesn't work for you, this online program, we will refund it. And if it does work for you, but later on you decide, I need more support, I need Denise's live coaching, then we'll just apply it to the live coaching. 
So you can't lose. And if you decide that's great and all, but I need to talk to Denise live about my situation, my overwhelm, my whatever it is, self-sabotaging behavior, then you can apply for one of my free slots for a breakthrough call with me. I'm going to put uh, a link to my calendar in the show notes. I don't have a lot of spaces. And if you take one, please honor the time, protect the time, because this will be the most valuable conversation of your week. I can pretty much guarantee that because you're going to be talking about the problem and I'm going to help you understand what it really is, what is causing the problem, because usually you don't even know what's causing the problem. And then what your next best step is to solving the problem. If it's something I can help you with, I will tell you. But if it's not, a lot of times it's not a problem that I solve. And then I'll send somebody in a better direction based on what you've tried already. So I don't want you to waste any more time trying to figure this out on your own if you haven't done it already. Because time is ticking, your life is important, and your potential is waiting for you. Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.